Can a marriage survive infidelity? We dig deep to explore this thorny question. Join me, Jean-Claude Chalmet, and founder of The Place Retreats and a featured columnist for The Times, with Amy Cooper and Louise Daniels, on The Place Retreats podcast. Search Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite Android app. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome back to your next episode. I'm Amy. And I'm Louise. We're recording this at the beginning of April 2020. Uh, we're in lockdown. And so we're joined down the line today by journalist and author Sally Howard, who hasn't reached midlife yet. But she's here to talk about her latest book, The Home Stretch: why it's time to come clean about who does the dishes. I love that title. Hello, Sally. <laughs> Hello. I think I'm on the border of midlife. I think I almost qualify. <laughs> <laughs> So just to give our listeners a little bit of an intro, after 40 years of feminism, women still do the majority of the housework, uh, which won't be a surprise to most people listening to this. Um, So while the gap in gender imbalance is slowly narrowing in the workplace, at home, it's actually widening. And uh, what Sally's referred to as the stalled revolution. Um, In The Home Stretch, uh, Sally covers a wide variety of domestic arrangements and the gender presumptions that we've been disciplined into, which lead to an unequal division of what she calls the shit work. Um, The book combines history and research with her own story and the experiences of others too in an engaging and accessible way. Can you tell us, first of all, Sally, why you decided this book needed to be written? I mean, there's a few reasons. I mean, there was uh, being a mother myself and there's something I refer to as the parent labour gap. Mm -hmm. Even people who have um, very egalitarian setups and divide household labour very fairly before kids arrive on the scene. When kids arrive on the scene, there's on average, there's three hours extra of labour, household labour a day, most of which falls to women, two and a half hours of which falls to women. Mm -hmm. So however much people have these ideas about being this, you know, fair family, as I term it, we often fall off a cliff. So that was quite mm. an interesting point. And I'm, I come from a gender studies background too. And this sort of thing was very, to the second wave feminists, there was this big movement called Wages for Housework. And it was this huge rallying cry in the 70s. And I began to wonder, why? Why are we not talking about this anymore? Why is this mm. not in 
feminist feminist discourse anymore. So for those reasons. Uh, you can relate to all of that, Louise, can you? Uh, well, yeah, uh, the book made me uh, you know, think quite a bit um, and, and the sort of reading that I did uh, around it. And as I, as I said before, I really struggled to think of, you know, to narrow down questions. I could chat to you about this for, for hours. But would you say then the underlying premise is that, you know, there is a um, this battle that's going on at home. Um, and have the, uh, My understanding was that, you know, from stats from the 90s show that... Um, um, male contributions to domestic chores um, have gone into reverse now. For, you know, from from the nineties, uh, is that correct? Have we gone? Have we actually I mean, gone this backwards? This is the amazing thing to me mm. that um, yeah, that there's been a bit of backsliding. Mm. That here and in the US, men have dropped about an hour to two hours of contribution on average. So, say thirty to fifty something males in the late nineties put in more in more work mm. many nations it's just a stalling so we have to inquire into why this is mm. <laughs> you know this is this you know because we i think before i started this book i just presumed it would be this like upward upward arc of increasing male contribution yeah. when i found it wasn't i scratched my head a little bit some of this is being plugged by the fact that many more of us now have domestic cleaners mm. so that mm. hour or I'm two hours ask you that, about we that. Pay yeah. another woman to perform those chores that's the, uh, those are sort of contribution hours, hours of contribution that, that uh, males in heterosexual unions aren't putting in. So it's a little bit of a conundrum, but actually there's also this broader social mood that reaches down to millennials who in study after study now are showing don't really believe that division of household labour fairly along gender lines is possible, which I found amazing. Oh, <laughs> I found amazing that there's been this, you know, this this idea that actually it's not um it's not something we should try to achieve. Do you know why they're thinking that? What? Yeah, it's called, you know, in, in the kind of social sciences jargon, mm. um egalitarian essentialism, they dub it, which means that Yes, let's pursue um, achievement in the public sphere and equal representation in Parliament and close a gender pay gap. But actually at home, traditional roles, they work best. And maybe it's kind of kids who've seen, you know, the chore wars in their own parents and mm. they've seen the women, women doing the second shift and it didn't work. And maybe they just think we should just go for the older models because they're more harmonious. Right. You know, it's funny because I was speaking to a few friends of mine about this. I, I, I'm going to confess now that I think maybe <laughs> I'm a little bit controlling. And if my husband went anywhere near my merino wool jumpers to put them in on a 60 degree wash, yeah. I, I mean, would I have probably to, I have to scream say... at him. <laughs> I am I am the shrink of shrink of knitwear in my household, <laughs> but maybe it's a feminist resistance. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, you know there is also we have to watch those narratives because a lot of women mm. create those these oh. ideas about expertise. I'm just better yes. at it. He's yeah. just incompetent, which is just actually inaccurate. Yeah. Do you know what, Sally? I'm also an antenatal teacher, and um, uh. something that I've noticed is this. Um, uh, it, I don't know if you've heard the term maternal gatekeeping when it comes to looking after children. Um, um, you know, yeah. and, and it starts when I'm teaching. I um, when we do the practical baby care session where they're learning about changing nappies, all that sort of thing. I separate the the men from the women.
women because the women always, there's always an element of slightly laughing at the men, not in a nasty way, mm. but of, of, of the blokes sort of going, oh, I haven't got a clue. And the women going, oh, yeah. look at how useless they I, are. I call that the, the crap dad or the sort of yeah. doofus dad narrative. Mm. It's Homer Simpson, basically, isn't yes. it? Homer Simpson yeah. looms large. Mm. <laughs> there are loads of Homer Simpsons in adverts and, you know, that, that kind of guy who tries Daddy to pig. Yes. Dad, Daddy pig, that's a big one. Yeah. Or the, so I think there was a famous personal one a few years ago when mum's away and dad puts flour in the washing machine and sort of flour is foaming out of the yeah. ho, ho, ho. But, you know, my, my, part, my partner, who, you know, he was off um, as primary carer with our um, two-year-old son for a while when I was writing this book. And the number of women who would come up to him quite boldly and say your child is teething, his face is too red, he's too hot in that hat, oh, you know, unbidden. Wow. <laughs> yes. It's Uninvited a really, advice. Exactly. And it's deeply mm. ingrained, isn't it, I think? And... <sighs> Uh, so going back to my antenatal classes, I have started having conversations now with the with the parents um, about because I've seen it in my own friends about if you're going to if as a woman you're going to do that and you want to own that role of being the the expert on looking after your child and you know doing everything, then you can't be whinging two years down the line when you can't mm. go away for a weekend with your girlfriends because your partner can't possibly look after the child. Yeah. Yeah, I call it cake bakeism. That we oh. can't have our cake and bake it. No. <laughs> we can't. <laughs> we can't. We can't perform this sort of Nigella Lawson role, no. or you know, the perfect mum, the one you know. Children just need their mums more, which is a very kind of common idea. Mm. And then, you know, exactly claim that we want to switch on an egalitarian union. Yeah. And it's tricky because you know a lot of um, a big thing that we need to do really is open up um, parental leave so that men feel very sort of competent. But there are a lot of women who don't want to give up on the year's no. maternity leave and they don't want to give over chunks of time. So it's we do have to yeah. <laughs> look at ourselves a little bit. Well, too. that is exactly, again, what I, I, I come across every single time in antenatal classes. I talk about, OK, has it, is anybody doing the shared maternity leave, uh, parental leave? Um, and almost never and the and the, really? the attitude is that the women don't want to give up that yeah. time um obviously it's about a two percent take up it's yeah of people who are eligible it's very poor it's yeah. really poor isn't it it really is but um, then you know what they found in many many nations is you know not to, not to butt in that they found that really mm. you need a kind of use it or lose it nadi quota that's the only way it works right so can you explain that so yeah so i went for the book, we went to Sweden and met Sweden's famous latte poppers, the mm. dads who are on sort of the extended parental leave that's funded by the state. And in Finland, when they've just brought in a feminist government as well, they've brought in what they call a daddy quota. So they found after years of experimentation that the only way that society shifts is if there's a, a, a tranche of time, whether that's two months to six months, that if the father doesn't take it as, as parental leave, the couple lose. Oh, and that really yeah. seems to work. And that's why, you know, Swedes have the most egalitarian relationships, divisions of labour. But, you know, I mean, that's a lot of um, 
that's a lot of government intervention to get to that point. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, obviously today's episode isn't going to be a quick fix as to how to sort out the <laughs> housework, childcare, all of that imbalance. Um, but, you know, more, you know, like your book, a, a kind of intentional unpicking and discussion around it, um, because it is a topic that is kind of sloshing around conversation um, that, you know, with my friends in our, you know, I'm 50 now, but, you know, in our 40s, you know, 50s and beyond, um, because sometimes, you know, at this stage, you know, within relationships, a bit of contempt is is creeping in, you know, onto the scene. Um, and when it's discussed uh, in, uh, you know, my friendship groups, it's there's a kind of despair amongst women of my age because the arrangements and responsibilities that they that set in when the children were little have become a habit. Um, so am I right in understanding that this is, you know, for the most forward-thinking couples, when children come along, when the first child comes along, they slip back into stereotypes? Often. Mm. And, and it's very interesting because when you look at the sort of studies of attitudes, um, people's social attitudes towards fathers and mothers' roles, no matter how egalitarian they are socially... Mm. People do have ideas about the fact that women should stay at home with small children, mm -hmm. even if they're quite liberal. So I think I don't think we've moved beyond these ideas. And unfortunately, you know, society really structures it. You know, it's mummy, mummy and baby groups yeah. and all of these kind of loads of things like re reinforce this, these sort of these roles. But, you know, they can be addressed. Yeah. We can mm. talk about them. We can look at them. We can acknowledge all of these things that we just do as this strange carousel. Right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. If someone's listening to this, maybe in like a Mad Max landscape, you know, 100 years from now in a time capsule, obviously we are on lockdown at the moment and this might be set how everybody looks at work and, and approaches work and how flexible we can all be. I think this is going to show us, it's really going to show up some cracks, especially an expectation that it's, a, it's possible to work around small children at home because that breezy expectation from bosses mm. that this is possible. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully no, people not, will now it? realise it's really not. So it might yeah. change things for the better in, in that sense. I think though. it might do. Mm. I think there's a risk that we kind of disappear a little bit into those cosy narratives of, you know, let's bake ourselves out of, let's, you know, bake a cake for the war effort and let's get through it. Mm. But then we have to remember that these big system shocks like the First and Second World War, they led to massive changes in gender mm. structures. Yeah. So I think, I think we can be hopeful. Good. I want to go back to something that you brought up earlier about cleaners. Now, one in three Britons now hire a cleaner, and I think I'm right in saying 40% of Gen Xs do, um, yeah. which I think you've referred to as a feminist blind spot. Um, yes. Can you explain your views on hiring cleaners? Because it really, really uh, made me think. And you hired, you used to hire a cleaner, didn't you? I but did. you don't anymore. So I don't can you explain anymore. why that is and your your views? And yes, um, I mean it's quite interesting to me because when I did my uh, a survey that accompanied this book, I found that very few lesbian couples hired a cleaner. And I right. thought it was quite interesting. Why is that? Um, and they uh, lesbian couples tend to divide chores on the basis of the unpleasantness of the task <laughs> and it was it was kind of anathema to um second wave feminists that you would hire a cleaner that you would pass what they called their sort of ship work down a class line to women who were being paid less money so you could have leisure yeah. and i began to look into these ideas and i thought okay well maybe if i pay my cleaner what i'm earning by the hour maybe that's fair Maybe it's there. I'm, then I'm not saying that my leisure is more important than this woman's leisure. Right. So I tried this for a little while 
and then in the end the clincher was the fact that it was what I was performing to my son the yeah. fact that a, a woman from overseas who was being paid you know who's been paid to do, to basically clean our u-bend and what was this what was this showing my son you know what was this what was mm. the patterning for my son so that was my decision I mean other people would say you're creating you know you're, you're creating economic value in this work there are other arguments from a feminist point of view but I think if you're paying through an agency bear in mind that they get half of the rate that you're paying yeah. per hour so that's something that you really have to take on board yeah um, and I'm very gratified to see actually I wrote a piece on this the observer and a lot of people contact me to me to me to say that in the um covid era they're continuing to play pay their cleaners whilst their cleaners don't come so yes. i think that's quite yeah. a good gesture yeah absolutely but yeah. yes it's too it's 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 a complicated one it is because it feels like an know, ex- exploitation of women by other women so uh, it is to, to to fix this to fix this lack of you know this lack of pitching in from for men yeah you know, and often it's, especially in the States, it's it's raced as well. So, you know, mm. the hand that's pushing the squeegee is a black hand. And it is something that we, yeah. have to, we have to acknowledge. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Your book is um, obviously uh, concerned with the recognition and the dignity element. I mean, is the real problem here, like, men? <laughs> yeah. Is that what we're saying? I think there's the expectations, the socialisation, there's a big backlash going on that sort of celebrates housewifery house and all of these things. But, yeah, I mean, indubitably, men have to kind of look at their privileges a little bit around this and and pitch in more. Yeah, than, I mean, because do. I guess if, if, if those men who have got wives who stay at home, they're able to go to those meetings and go to those networking things and I, I guess their careers inevitably... Um, elevate blossom. don't they they yeah. do blossom so you see this real you see this real income boost when men have children i think there's something that perhaps it, there's this expectation that they're seen as more competent and they're given more and more work which obviously sort of strains the the, the person who's at home looking after the children mm. um and actually there's a really interesting study that i didn't include in the book but i came across saying that 
the work that women, the additional sort of 60% of effort that women put into the housework, men often use that time rather than for leisure to do that sort of soft networking that yeah. helps them climb the career ladder. Yeah. Which is fascinating. So that's, yeah. you know, they, it's, you, you're getting this kind of whole um, ecosystem of boosts for the men's career yeah. that, that women, you know, fall back on. Mm. Am I right in thinking there's not just the unequal division of um, housework, but often, you know, these men won't won't recognise that that is even going on? Yeah, no, and the, the, the really interesting stuff that's happening is this co- coining of new categories of work, which I'm sure you know the the third shift, Mm. mental load emotional Mm. labor so that's been a really interesting moment that people are saying it's not just about who's hoovering the carpet it's also about who's thinking of sending the christmas cards or thinking of the cousin's son or Mm. who's you know soothing brows or making people feel better when they're Mm. sat so there's all of this um which i think has been a really fascinating moment to say yes look at all of this additional stuff that women take on that isn't about the nuts and bolts and that's about the household management. Yeah, yeah. And just going back to midlifers, I just wonder if, I don't know if I'm being too harsh here, but specifically midlife men, surely now is the time for them to see, like, you know, the writing on the wall as they're growing older and perhaps, you know, a bit less desirable. You know, surely, (laughs) you know, I mean, (laughs) surely it would be worth addressing for them before it's too late. You know, when I was going back to, you know, these these habits that set in when children were small, worth them addressing because otherwise they're going to be left to do all of this stuff on their own anyway you know the stuff they've been dodging uh, for, for, for years because I mean, we all we all know those apocryphal stories about divorcees you don't even know how to boil mm. the carrots yeah <laughs> so we do and, and we also know that women you know file for divorce much more frequently than men and often housework is cited so yeah yes. yeah and I think women <laughs> around 50 this seems to be the time when people when people are sort of splitting up getting divorced whatever and often it will be the woman that's that's decided yeah I've had enough of this and that all feeds into it doesn't it of course it does absolutely I mean Mm. it's a huge it's a huge motivation and then a reason actually why women who you know who have been divorced in midlife are often quite resistant to cohabiting with new lovers because Mm. they you know maybe they've kind of got an exit from this injury and they think actually no I don't want to cohabit no so yeah I mean blokes you know read the writing on the wall that's what I'm saying so I just (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad we all agree and it's not just me being a like a like a bitch but you know (laughs) seems like an obvious thing to me (laughs) yeah and, and actually I think it's worth the the writing being seen on the wall by those people who maybe have got new newborn babies yeah that hardwires it hardwires the communication going forward doesn't it it's Um, a very important moment and I think people can neglect it and think oh no it's fine because I'm breastfeeding I'll have a year off and oh mm. of course we can support the husband's career and of course I'll go part-time but those patterns are then pretty entrenched because you know how busy it busy it is for those child rearing years could it also be that the difference is more between personalities rather than gender so one person is you know a stronger alpha personality and the other person isn't is is that part of it as well I mean it could be I mean Mm. there are a few ways of seeing it the um Arlie Hosschild who wrote the second shift talks about gender scripts that we see what situation we're in and then almost we wear the cloak of a 
subversion of femininity or masculinity depending oh. on our circumstances so we have a resistant male so maybe we then go into kind of tough broad that gets it all done yeah. mode and mm. we do everything or we find we have a very egalitarian male we think, okay we can push on with our career but sometimes it, this, these personality traits end up being a response to circumstance yeah it's interesting it can work the other way it's really complex, isn't it? I mean, this, like that's what I mean but earlier about sort of having a little bit of an unpicking because this isn't a quick fix today. But I'm hoping that it, you know, it's given me so much to you know to think about. Certainly, yeah, so. it's really uh, one thing I found really fascinating is in the American context here we have this very much this pink and blue tasks mm. that this task is pink, this ta- task is blue. But in the states they have this spatial idea that the man does the yard. The man does the outside and the woman does the inside. And the outside is usually just the dog. (laughs) And maybe like sweeping the yard. And the inside is everything else. But, you know, it's that kind of psychological way of understanding these things that, okay, so he takes the bin out. But, you know, these these are comforting narratives. But Mm -hmm. I would say you know no 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 better opportunity than now when we're all cooped up and we're getting afraid to look at these patterns mm-hmm. and i guess men with those outside jobs they've usually got the you know the power you know the power spray or the leaf blower that's like you know a gun shaped penis <laughs> leaf extension leaf blowers yeah. are hilarious aren't they those two stroke ones that are just like a kind of chesty cough yeah and they don't do anything yeah yeah but it makes them feel, i guess it makes them feel like they've got some new toys to plug in or something i don't know exactly um, but then it, what's interesting is these things aren't immutable between nations so you know we see laundry as very effeminate and that's been the case for centuries whereas that isn't the case so much in the states Mm. mopping is seen as being quite masculine in spain so these are not kind of these these really shift between Mm. cultures which i found fascinating yeah it's interesting what you were saying before about your son seeing you know we were talking about your your decision to not employ a cleaner because what what that displays to your son i mean is the way forward sort of education for boys um and and as as, uh, getting that narrative in very early or you know like uh, i don't know modeling that yeah sharing the load and that decency definitely and i think there was a great german study that said that these this modeling is most salient for boys it doesn't Mm. seem to have as much an effect on girls and between the age of nine and around 15 for boys what 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 they're seeing around them at that age is very much influences their kind of patterning and norms Um, which I found fascinating, actually. So if you've got a boy at home (laughs) between the age of nine and 15. Well, can I just tell you, my husband, his mother left when he was nine. Paul is my husband, Paul, the the sound engineer. So he's listening to this. But his mum left when he was nine. um, And so his dad brought up him and his sister. And... I've we have never had any kind of like I'm the mother I'm you know the one that does the caring the nurture it's it's never ever been a and I think it's I think it's because he grew up and it's funny you say between nine and fifteen because that's when he saw his father doing all of it and they didn't need a woman they didn't need a mother figure I mean they probably of course they did it would have been yeah you know, I'm not you know but it and it has really it's interesting isn't it how that's played out it's then. really yeah. just a, great because Hooray he's the Paul. Oh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Hooray for you Paul. Louise <laughs> <laughs> but you know compared to all of all of my friends without without doubt he is the one who just absolutely would never question that um if there was you know a child had hurt themselves or you 
needed tending to when they were sick that that, that I should do it over and above him. It's it's never been you know, and it has that has really stood out to me. So that's really interesting what you say about the wow, age he's of a perfect nine. example of that, he of is. that study. Then, <laughs> but then I've, I've got a flip side example. Uh, a friend of ours who um, so he he is one of five boys, and um, I will mention no names. Hopefully, he won't listen to this podcast. But um, his his mum was very much a, a sort of um, uh, you know, you know, I guess he he saw those patterns between his parents. So his dad was was in the city, and it was a bit like you know the tiger who came to tea type of thing. You know, the dad comes home from work, and it's like hooray, dad's <laughs> back. But now he has gone on to um, marry one of our friends, and they've got three boys, and her even trying to inch her way back into work now that the three boys are are, are in school. It it's. It's very difficult. So I don't know. Maybe he was. A, I don't know. It's interesting, isn't it? He, those cycles just repeat sometimes. They do, and they feel, they feel natural to us, don't they? But mm. that's not to say that it's inevitable that we're going to recreate what we grew up with, because oft, oftentimes people don't. But you know, there was a friend of mine who's a midlifer who was saying that you know her 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 husband before you know when they were wooing he'd make her. Jamie Oliver meals. And yeah, he was very sort of all the flourish, the bachelor flourish. And then as soon as they married, he stopped doing anything, he stopped any of his pants or his socks. She said, oh my Did goodness. I hallucinate it? You know? Oh God, this is not what it said on the tin. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Oh, so I think maybe that's the cruelest outcome. Yeah. <laughs> So before I sort of wrap up, Sally, is there anything that you think that you know um, we haven't sort of covered that you particularly think that we that we should? Because you're you know, you're the expert on this, so you know. Yeah, I think I think we I think things there is definitely a moment, you know, the the feminist seventies moment of wages for housework and all of that activism that was happening. Yeah. I think that's coming back. We saw um, for International Women's Day, we saw mums strikes in Hackney. Yeah. We saw a lot of women marching in Madrid with men who were brought in to look at look after their children in crashes. So I think I think we can be hopeful that that things are going to shift. Obviously, we're in a new era with coronavirus, but um, I, I'm quite hopeful. Good. So people should not not despair, not cry into their soapy soapy uh, washing up. <laughs> <laughs> Sally, this is such an important topic, and it is really complex, as I think we've discovered. So thank you for talking with us today, and I would urge listeners to get the book. It's the sort of book that you'll be telling your friends that they have to read. Um, there'll be links in the show notes for the book, and I'll and do follow Sally on Twitter, um, and I'll put a link up for that too. So thank you so much, Sally thank Howard. You very much, both. Thank, thank you, you. Sally. Keep well and keep safe. Made by darkhorsedigital.co.uk. Shooting, live streaming and podcast production. Hello, this is Rich Wilson, host of the podcast Insane in the Membrane, where we talk to funny and interesting people about men's mental health. People like James Acaster. Because we won't talk about emotions because we think that's bad. We won't talk about feelings and that's bad. So they've, they've had to rebrand it and go, it's mental health. <laughs> oh, oh, talk, oh, yeah. Course, yeah. Mental. Our, our brains are so, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty clever. Uh, like, like, okay, I'll get, I'll get into my mental health. Yeah, that's it. I like puzzles. <laughs> and Rob Beckett. I've never even done a school play. <laughs> I did some open uh, mic gigs. <laughs> Uh, Did the Edinburgh Fringe, got on, somehow got on the telly. And I'm on the other side of the world in the jungle doing nights. <laughs>
following Ant and Beck. People like Mark Steele. I hated being at home and I didn't get on with me. My dad was in a, a asylum by then. I suppose we ought to talk about that, shouldn't we? Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> given the premise of the, the podcast. Search Insane in the Membrane from wherever you get your podcasts. Brand new episodes every Thursday at 6 p.m. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.